Scripture says in Luke 12, Jesus speaking, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, we as believers understood our need of salvation and that our need was found to be solved only in the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Lord, thank you that through your spirit, you brought us to yourself. You gave us the gift of faith. You gave us the gift of repentance that we were able to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are forgiven, that we've been brought into your family, that we've given all the spiritual riches in Christ. Lord, just blessing upon blessing upon blessing has been given to us because we have received your Son. And Father, we ask now that you would help us to get a glimpse of the grace that you gave to us. Lord, help us to then respond by sacrificially giving to you. Lord, give us wisdom as we look at this passage. Lord, help us to be able to walk by faith and not by sight in this world, to be willing to be generous, to be willing to be sacrificial because of all that you've done for us. Thank you that our giving is not part of our salvation. Thank you that our salvation is free and that out of love for you we can give. Help us to have that balance. Help us to have that understanding. And Lord, give us the strength to be able to do what you want us to do for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The junior church, were they dismissed? Good. (laughs) If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is Jesus talking about giving the parable of the rich fool. Last week I told you that uh, the message I gave was probably one of the hardest. It's on politics. That's always hard. How do you get a good balance when it comes to the political system? If last week's was one of the hardest, this is probably one of the most convicting. (laughs) This is one message that makes you most uncomfortable, at least myself, because it's talking about this. Money. This is talking about our possessions. What do we do with the wealth that the Lord allows you to have? Again, I wish, I wish the scriptures was very clear that it was just give a tithe. That would be easy. In other words, I give the tithe to the Lord, and then the rest I can deal with myself. <laughs> That's easy. But again, I believe that the tithe, the 10%, is actually an Old Testament principle. Remember, the Israelites, where the tithe was given, was a theocracy. It was actually a government in itself. And the tithe had to to go for, as you were, the officials, the priests, those who labored in the temple. So the point was, is back then it was a tithe. Actually, the tithe turned out to be about 23%. But the point was, is that it was mandated. There was, there was free will offering and love gifts. But the point was, is basically it was commanded, this is how much you need to give. In the New Testament, you see very uh, clearly in 2 Corinthians, it's grace giving. Grace means it has to do with your heart. <laughs> 
has to do with giving what, what is the Lord laid on your heart. It puts it in a whole different realm, whereas the uh, Old Testament Jews didn't have the Holy Spirit residing within them on a continual basis. We do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we do. And therefore, God tells us, give as it pertains to what you know the Spirit of God is speaking to you as far as in your heart. Grace giving, that's difficult. Because now I look at the money and I'm, all right, Lord, what do you want me to give? And it's not just this, but what do you want me to give? Give me direction. Give me direction. And sometimes that can be very convicting. Here's the Lord talking to some individuals. And apparently there was a crowd because verse 13, again, Luke 12, 13, it says, One from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. By the way, before I say any of this, I I need to say this very, very clearly. Giving to the Lord's work does not merit any grace towards God before you. Okay, In other words, because you give doesn't mean that you are more well accepted before God, right? How How do we become righteous before God the Father? It's because a person puts their faith and trust. They realize that they are a sinner, that God is holy, and that God's Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for sinners such as myself. And when a person recognizes their need of salvation, their need of forgiveness, their need to be redeemed, as it were, bought back from sin. In other words, I am a sinner condemned before a holy God. When a person realizes that need and realize that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus, then He forgives based on the sacrifice on the cross. He died for my sin. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I am forgiven. I am made part of the family. I stand righteous before God. I am loved as much today as I was when I first received Christ. Why? Because I am in Christ. Now, I say all that because I want to make sure we understand because you give doesn't make you more acceptable before God, doesn't make you more pleasing before God, doesn't make you more loved before God. We are loved. If you are loved by God, it's because you have put your faith and trust in Christ that the sin that you have done against God has been forgiven based on the sacrifice of Christ. Right? Amen to that? Right? I mean, we're not talking about, oh, I'm giving more so that God is more pleased with me. I'm talking about this. I give because God is already pleased with me. I give because God already loves me. I'm giving because I love Him. And I'm giving because I want other people to know Him. That's called evangelism. And I want to help people to know Him and be discipled to know Him even better. That's why I'm giving. So again, the whole context has to be, I'm loved because Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. I received Christ as my Savior. I am forgiven. And I stand in Christ's righteousness, not my own. That's why I'm loved. That's why you're loved. But now comes this important question. What do I do with what God has allowed me to have on this earth? (laughs) I mean, is it just for me? Is it just for me? Can I just use it all myself? Well, I think this guy that Jesus is going to be referring to in the parable... It's a good example, and, and, and this is why it's so convicting. It, as I read it over and over again, um, actually a number of weeks ago, it started to occur to me that a lot of Americans can fall right into this fool. 
We could be this fool very easily. So let's just look at, there's just very three very simple uh, things. <coughs> First of all, the principle declared. The principle declared. And you find that in verses uh, 13 through 15. The principle is, well, let's just break it down. There's a guy that comes and says, you know, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now again, by the way, if you know anything about, you know, the greediness of the human heart, that's when a lot of problems can happen right at that moment. You know, mom and dad die, there's an inheritance, and then, then the kids fight. You know, I'm sure some of you have even been involved in that type of thing. So, I mean, this is a legitimate question. Uh, whether or not the person had already died, we don't know. We don't know all the specifics. Is this man just making a claim, or is it an actual claim? We don't know. But Jesus says this, And he said to them, again, not only him, but to the crowd, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, I've divided this part up into two parts, the wrong thinking, right thinking. The wrong thinking is this, that we have covetousness in our heart. That's wrong thinking. Covetousness is wrong thinking. And verse 15, the first part is a warning about, about greed for material things. I.e., Jesus warned the multitude against a preoccupation with material provisions for this life, which leaves out more important matters related to God and one's spiritual well-being. So he looks and he says, listen, I want you to take heed and beware of covetousness. That word covetousness means this, to have more. That's literally what it means, just to have more. I start out with this. I want more. I want more. Well, I deserve more. I'm getting older. I need more. I have to have more. That's what he's talking about. By the way, that's the American way. That's why it's so dangerous. Because you can be an American and be very displeasing to God. Now, when I, remember I started out, how do we stand in Christ? I stand in Christ's righteousness. In other words, from a judicial standpoint, I am pleasing before the Father because I stand in Christ's righteousness. But, as I live my life, I can also be displeasing in the same moment as far as how I'm living my life. Now, my standing remains the same before God. But again, God may be convicting my heart and saying, no, no, this is not the direction I want you to go. So Jesus stops him and he says, you know what, beware of covetousness or beware of greediness. In other words, beware of never being satisfied, never being content. Um, Again, wealth often... Uh, does that to a person because wealth many times to people's thinking equals blessing, like even the blessing of God. It definitely promotes you before the eyes of people. But again, covetousness is very, very, uh, uh, very serious. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Therefore, put to death your members. And the last thing he says, Paul says to the Colossian people, is covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness is idolatry. In other words, covetousness in that passage is referring to a worship issue. This is very serious. This is something that we have to really stop and say, Lord, am I covetous? Am I trusting in something other than you? That's because when you, when you talk about idolatry, when you talk about a worship issue, a God issue, it's really who am I trusting in? Am I trusting in what I have or am I trusting in the living God? And so Colossians says, 
Put to death your members, covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, to put desire for material things ahead of desire for spiritual things is worship. It's another God. And, and notice the, the, the two verbs here, take heed and beware. It's like a stop sign. Jesus says, listen, I want you to really be careful on this issue. Just don't go passing over it. That word take heed means to have eyes that truly perceive. <laughs> In other words, play, pay close attention. The word beware means to guard or to watch, like you watch a prisoner. Be very careful when you come to this area of covetousness because you could easily say, well, it's not me. You know, I got other problems, but it's not that. <laughs> and Jesus said, wait a second here. You know, it's very easy for Christians to walk by sight, not by faith. It's very easy, easy for us to have comfort and security in what we have and not in who we know, which is God himself. So again, we have to slow this down. It's, it's easy to be living by sight. You know, and this whole... I remember I taught a course. In fact, we need to teach it again. Ron Blue used to... I think he's retired now. But the point is, is Ron Blue uh, used to do a, a course on Money Matters something like that. But anyways, one of his first questions was this. And I always thought, that is a really good question. And the question was, how much is enough? Because he said, what the average person does is you get a home, but you don't just call it a home. What do you call it? A starter. So you're just starting the process. And then you go from home to home to home. And he says, if you never know what is enough, you'll just keep accumulating for yourself. You'll never have the ability to release to the kingdom of God because you never came to the conclusion of what you need in the first place. So you've got to be real careful. So that's the wrong thinking. Let's look at the right thinking. Second part, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. <laughs> A person's life does not consist. That word consist means is. <laughs> in other words, the actuality of it. Uh, one's life is not this, that it consists in the abundance of the things he possesses. To be. It's literally the verb for to be. It, that's not what it really is. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That goes against the world's culture. That goes against Americans' culture. You know, that, what is that old little thing? You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Now, we'd all say that's wrong. But you know what? There is something, though, inside of, uh, not Americans, of people that as you accumulate, you kind of assume, well, but my life does kind of consist of that. I mean, how people view me, how I view myself, is kind of wrapped up in the physical. Okay, do you see how that can easily happen? I'm not saying that that's what is happening to you. But again, that's why Jesus says, take heed and beware, be very careful, because it's very easy for us to... Just make a determination. God's blessing on my life, how people look at me, how I look at myself, how I'm satisfied, how I'm secure. What? Based on what I have. Ooh, that's not... But Jesus himself is saying that's not... That's not... And, and, and that is... The second part of verse 15 is very, very important because he is just saying this is a truism. <laughs> For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You can, you can have a whole lot and really from God's perspective have, a whole, uh, have very little. 
I'm talking as a Christian. So, one's life, that word life, uh, really is getting at the idea of meaningful existence. In other words, what really life is all about. What's most critical, you could say it that way. Again, life is not made up of material things like riches and wealth and houses and lands and barns that are full. We're going to see that in a moment. Back if you just skip right down, verse 21, he kind of summarizes this part. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's, he's going to be talking about the person who has treasures on earth and the person who has treasures in heaven. And there is a difference. So one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I wish I had three hours to talk about this. Because, you know, you start, I, I start looking at my life and the things that I have and the things that make me comfortable and the things that make me secure. And you have to keep going back. Is it really God? Is it God-centered? Sometimes I feel on things that God convicts me of. It's almost like when it comes to money, it's like this. And God wants to... Free me, free us by like just taking the fingers off. Now, sometimes it's very hard to to see with a clear mind who is really holding our affections. So that's the principle declared. Let's look at the principle illustrated. Verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them. He spoke to them and said... And again, a parable was just to try to make one main point. And we'll see that at the end. Now, here's a man, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. In other words, the guy had an abundance. <coughs> I would say most people, and again, if I was talking to Africans at this moment, I probably couldn't, I couldn't give the same message, by the way, to Africans in, in a poor area of Africa. Because for the many of them, they are literally living from day to day to day to day, to, you know. But again, we're living... I think it right now a very prosperous time. I'm, I'm reading a book uh, by Erwin Lutzer. He's the pastor of uh, Moody Bible Church. He's been there for like 30 years. But he wrote a book basically comparing Nazism to American and showing the, the, the many of the similarities <laughs> of what Germany was going through in the 20s and 30s and what we are right now. I mean, they're just staggering the similarities. But he made a point at the very end. He said, you know... He said, people are saying we live in such hard times, but he said, really, we're living in very good times. You still have a bank account. You still have food on the table. In fact, you probably have enough money in the bank to buy food for the next, you know, three months. You know, you have, we do still, we still are living in very good times, right? So again, I would say we're most, most of us are probably wealthy. By the New Testament definition, a rich person was anybody that had enough to be able to provide for themselves you know, for the next, let's say, for the next week. That's considered wealth, okay? To be able to not just work from, like a day laborer, go out to work to be able to have food that night. So we're wealthy. But anyways, here's a guy who was a rich man, probably put ourselves in the same, who yielded plentifully. I looked at that word plentifully. It's, it's the it's word euphoria. It, we get our word euphoria, well-being. In other words, he had so much, it was like euphoric. You know, he just had all kinds of, you know, I mean, his ground just yielded major. I was talking to my dad and, uh, you know, the grape crop was very good this year. Uh, Usually you get maybe four or five ton to the acre, but he said there was some places that was getting 10 and 12. That's euphoria. That's 
just plentiful. But the question is this. See, when, when Jesus makes that statement, it yielded plentifully, the question is, and what is he going to do with the extra? Isn't that the question? What is he going to do with the extra? Is he going to be generous? Will he keep it for himself? See, if he keeps it for himself, the watching world will say he is successful. I'm walking by sight again. We got See, pleasing man is huge in this because the fear of man makes us to do certain things and holds back from eternity the, the riches we could have there because of how people look at us. So what is he going to do? Is he going to lay up for himself treasures for himself or rich towards God like verse 21? I came across an interesting illustration of John Wesley. This was his rule for life. Do you remember John Wesley started the uh, well, Wesleyans? Actually, I think it was a method. I, I forget because there's a, like a difference there. But the point is, he lived in the 1800s, very godly man, uh, great preacher. But this was his rule for life. It was to save all he could and give all he could. Save all he could, give all he could. When he was at Oxford, he had an income of 30 pounds a year. He lived on 28 pounds and gave two away, two pounds a year away. When his income increased to 60, 90, 120 a year, he still lived on 28 pounds and gave the balance away. We don't think that way. But that's actually biblical thinking. I'm not, by the way, at the end of this thing, I'm not going to ask you to come forward and give me your checkbooks, okay? <laughs> I'm going to give a il- final illustration, hopefully I'll have time, that shows I think you need to go home and pray. But the reality is this, many of us have never come up with the idea of what is enough. And therefore we just keep, you know, we just keep, well, we get a raise and what do we do with it? Well, we either save it or spend it on ourselves. Well, we might give, you know, token to the Lord. Now, some of you aren't like that. Some of you would give, yeah, you know, I don't need it. But the point is, and by the way, it's not because we're in debt. Are we in debt? No, we're not in debt as a church. Thankfully, I got paid last week. I mean, I'm not saying this for any, like, crises, okay? My purpose in saying this is one thing. I am a messenger, and this message is for me too, by the way. Okay, it's for me too. But I do not want to stand before Jesus Christ and find out I was a poor steward. And I don't want you to either because... You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be helping to guide you in your thinking. And so this thing, I wish it wasn't there. I just wish it wasn't there. You know, give 10%, John, and enjoy the rest and have a great life until I see you, you know. But that's just not how it is, you know. So, again, we have to think how the Scriptures tell us to think. But look at this, verse 17. He never saw beyond himself. And he thought within himself. You know, I mean, you know, he's having this, probably went out to dinner at a nice Chinese restaurant, all you can eat. And then, you know, he's thinking to himself, you know, what shall... Now, notice the, uh, the eyes, the eyes and the mys. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Okay, I, I, my. By the way, what does uh, Psalms 24 say? The earth is the Lord's. In all its fullness, the world and those who dwell within. It's all the Lord's. No, 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 Lord. No, no, this is not. No, it's all the Lord's. <laughs> and this is becoming more and more worthless too. But, you know, if you had something really of value, it's still the Lord's. You know, anything on this earth is the Lord's. And isn't it great? I told you this last. Isn't it great at the end he burns it all up? That's, that's just great. I mean, that's just great. You know, anything that we think is really, you know, it's gone. He starts over, you know. 
But the point is, is he had just a totally, you know, he never thought outside of his box. And I think sometimes we as believers don't think about All he was thinking about was his needs, his desires, his future, his loves. Verse 18, so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and I will store all my crops and my goods. I mean, he was entirely and aggressively self-centered. Would you agree? And when I got to that point, I thought, you know, that's a lot of us. <laughs> and yet we would say, well, I put it in the you know, retirement account. But look at the I, six times I, five times my. I mean, it was totally, what am I going to do? And I, I started thinking, why bigger barns? You know, you, you got a barn there. Why not just build a little barn beside it? You know, why have one big barn? Why tear down the old? Maybe it's because of how people would view him. You know, I mean, what's more impressive, two little barns and one big barn? It might have been for security reasons. You know, maybe the old barn had like a broken latch. <laughs> you know, let's build something that's really impenetrable, you know? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. But this man, somehow his success, his worth was hooked to my eye. You know, the old Roman proverb says this, money was like seawater. The more a man drank, the thirstier he became. And, you know, they asked uh, Rockefeller, what is enough? And back then, it was, you know, back at the turn of last century, he said, you know what's enough? My next million. <laughs> Just thirstier. Wealth does that. What's enough? You know? For him, it was just for himself. See, this is the point of this entire part. It is futile to trust in material possessions for your well-being. That's the point he's going to be making. It's futile to trust in material possessions for your future well-being. He never saw beyond this world. He was short-sighted. That's his problem. He was short-sighted. He, ne- he was very self-centered and short-sighted. And notice what he says, verse 19, And I will say to my soul... Now, you would think he would say, I, I would say to my body, but he says, I will say to my soul, You have many good goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, isn't that odd he tells his soul this? You would think he would have told his body this. His soul is going to live way beyond the point of death. But he actually addresses his soul. One guy said it this way, To this man, soul was the total of man, and it could be provided for in physical ways alone. In other words, he actually got even his spiritual and physical mixed up here. He was using the wrong word. That food is not going to take care of your soul forever. And yet he was focused on the food, the nourishment that the food could give. Or or to say it this way, he named the part that never dies for the part that does die, which is the body. I mean, he's messed up in his thinking. And so he says, you know, I have have all these goods laid up for many years. Laid up is, is, um, you know, it points to one very important thing. He was trusting in his goods. That's what it is. That's the whole point of the... That's the whole point of the, parag- uh, uh, the uh, parable here. He was trusting in what he had physically to take care of him. Now look at God's condemnation, his rebuke. But God said to him, verse 20, fool. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what fool means. Fool. <laughs> it means stupid, you know. Well, we don't want to. It means 
without reflection, not perceiving, not understanding, no thinking, senseless. That's what the fool means. Fool. God says, you're a fool. You got all this, you have all this stuff for many, many years for your body, but you're thinking wrong and you're a fool. Why? Fool, this night your soul, now God does actually look, focus on what's the most important. Your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? In other words, all the food. Who's, where's that going to go? You know, Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And again, that's the purpose of today. That's what I've been thinking about all week for myself. This is really nothing to do with you in, re, in one sense. It has to do with me. It has to do with my family. It has to do with how I look at things. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to stand before him and know that as I live my 51 years so far, and maybe he'll give me a few more, that, you know, Lord, I, I did it right. I was a good steward of what you gave me. But notice he says, he says, you're a fool. And then he says, verse 21, point, so is he who lays up treasure for himself. Remember, he said it, I, 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 my, 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 my. I mean, he was laying it up for himself. So is he who treasures up for himself and not is not rich towards God. As uh, Randy Elkhorn says in one of his principles on finances, this man was living for the dot, but not the line. What do I mean? Well, this is the dot. You know, how, I, I should take a, an age count. How many of you are over 55? No, don't raise your hand. You know, how, how many of you are over uh, 80, 85, 90, whatever? The point is, is this. That's a dot in, in comparison to eternity, right? We are only here for a very short time. That's a dot. And yet, God is encouraging us to live for the line for eternity. So, he's living for the dot because he was living the, for the treasure for himself. Again, it turns out to be this. This is the implication. Some who had the most on earth will be shown to be the least faithful stewards. Ugh! That means some of the Americans who are Christians, who named the name of Christ, who love Jesus Christ, may be shown to be the least faithful in heaven. You had all this, what would you do with it? Again, in another principle, I was looking at Andy, uh, Randy Elkhorn. He's got a great uh, little booklet called Treasure Principle. If you ever want to be really encouraged and even convicted. But one of his main points is this. God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8. This is so quiet today. <laughs> In 8.14, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and, and uh, they were going through hard times, and he was talking about the Macedonians who had given everything to the church in Jerusalem. But he said this in 8.14. 8.13 to 15, he says this, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's talking about giving. I'm not trying to get you to be burdened so that other people would be eased. He says this, But, but by an equality that now at the, this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And the idea was equality. By the way, I am not, and this is not, this passage is not promoting communism. 
You know, we all throw it in and, you know, that's always corrupted. The point of this is we have care and concern enough for other people so that we'd be willing to give out of a gracious heart. It's not, this is not mandate. There's nobody going to come around, oh, let me see your finances. Oh, no, you need to give X number or you're out of the church. No, I mean, that's not obvious. But the point is, is God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. See, do you see the difference between tithing and that? <laughs> you know, tithing was, you know, just you just you have to give this. It's mandatory. In fact, if you weren't, you you know, you were disciplined as an Israelite. But no, this is just this is grace giving. These are just principles of grace. This says, you know what? I have a greater love and concern for people. It's not about this earth. Again, I'm not saying not to save. If you walk away and say, oh, he's saying don't ever save, I'm going to give you a final illustration that's very convicting. But I'm not, I'm not even promoting or advocating that. I'm just saying let's just look at what we have and, and don't think this, oh, man, I am so really suffering. You know. Well, <laughs> compared to what? Half the world lives on less than $2 a day. You know, I mean, we've got to put ourselves in the context of maybe what God wants to do in our lives. By the way, am I only talking to you who are 55 and older? Older. No, I'm talking, how about you that are 25 and older? How about you that just got married? You that just had a child, should, should you be affected by this message? Yeah. How about if you are a 14-year-old and you're in this? Yeah, this is for every one of us. When we talk about giving to missions, giving to the local church, giving to an extra missionary, giving to the person down the road that is hurting financially, again, this should apply to every person whether you're a young teen or an older, older great-grandfather. This should apply to all of us. So, Jesus says, So is he. This fool is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's pretty, in, in, you know, he, he didn't send his, his ability to invest ahead. He just spent it on himself. Well, let's go to verse 22. Here are some principles applied. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. That word worry means to stop being distracted. And it literally it means this to stop pulling oneself in two directions by allowing oneself to be tugged by opposite principles of life. Stop being worried. The principles is this I don't trust God, I do trust God. Because when I have to save because it's, on, it's all on my shoulders, I'm not trusting God. But then he says, stop worrying. Because this is the point. Coveting, covetousness enslaves. That's what he's getting at. Stop worrying. Stop being pulled in two directions. Do you trust God or not? Do you trust God or not? Again, money enslaves. It enslaves in a different way. Sometimes it enslaves by greediness, just more and more and more. Other times, it's this other one. It's, it's the fact that we worry. That's enslaving. You know, worry and fear and anxiety are joy robbers, aren't they? They are joy robbers. They are absolutely joy robbers. And we can just, you know, and, and again, I mean, again, as a friend and as a pastor, been here a long time. You know my struggles. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty open because I don't want you to think, "Oh, you got it together," and like you, you know, you're the strugglers. No, we're fellow strugglers. But man, worry is a joy robber. Jesus wants us to be joyful in Him. Listen, do you believe I'm your? Do you believe that the that God is your Father? That's what He would counsel. That's what He counsels in, in, in Matthew six, where He talks about worry in a whole passage. The whole emphasis of that is, do you believe that God is your father or not? Do you believe that he's going to take care of you or not? 
Because again, money, wealth, covetousness, it could just enslave. Why? Because it's just more and more. Or the opposite is maybe I'll lose it, which is the fear and anxiety. So again, and he gives us a couple illustrations. Verse 24. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, which which have neither storehouse, looking at back at the, the, the fool nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a one cubit, 18 inches, you know, this right here, to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious? There again, that word worry. For the rest, I mean, why are you anxious? What? So he gives the illustration of the birds and just says, hey, you know, God takes care. By the way, that is not advocating, you know, don't swing it so far over, oh, I guess I don't need a job and I'll just, you know, stand out there and, you know, ask for money and God's going to provide that way. I mean, there's a lot of passages on the work ethic and stuff. But the point is, is when it's all said and done, this is the point. It's really in God's hands, right? I mean, you can make your plans, but God is the one that's going to execute it. And then how about the next? He gives another illustration. Not only on the birds, let's see here. Verse uh, 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, so he gives an animal illustration and a plant illustration. The point is, is this. God himself takes care of each of those and then says, aren't you more important than them? Of course you are. And then he ends by saying this, but if you don't, if you, if you do worry, look at the last part of verse 28. If then, then God so closes the grass, if he said that, well, then why are you worrying? Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> and then he does, uh, he, he counsels them because he, he's the great counselor that we sang about that. He's the wonderful counselor. And now he says, listen, I know you've been worrying. That's been your action up to this point. You're thinking your action. Now, let me tell you what the replacement is. Because again, a good counselor is going to say, this is where you've been. This is what you have to put off. But let me tell you what you have to put on. In, in verse 31, he tells us what to put on. But seek. By the way, these are all imperatives. There's like five of them. But seek the kingdom of God. That's what you need to put on. Stop worrying about this present. Seek the kingdom of God. Second, and all these things shall be added unto you. What? All these, what? Food, clothing, all the things that you keep, you know. Uh, worrying about. Do not fear, imperative, little flock, little flock, because he's the great shepherd. Listen, do you think I'm the great shepherd or not? Do you think I'm the good shepherd? That's why he calls him little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Second, third imperative, sell what you have and give, fourth imperative, alms. Alms is always referring to the needy. He's, uh, this is not a missions passage. I don't want you to think, oh, he's trying to get me to give to missions. Actually, this is not even about missions month in one sense. I know Chris Blaze probably just fell off his seat. No, no. This is just about how we live our life. And so Jesus is pointing to the needy and says, be willing to sell to give to the needy. Now, again, maybe you'll sell and give to the missions. That's, that's important too. But the immediate context is you're willing to give and provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. In other words, that you can lose a treasure in heaven that does not fail where thief approaches nor moth destroys. In other words... You know, be willing to invest. I was thinking about this. Our missions program in our church, as you give to missions, as you give to the church, as you give to FLM, wherever you give, they are investment. All right, help me out here. What would be the word? People who take other people's money to invest. What are they called? Investment managers. Yeah, what a, why did I not? I can't. Yeah, they're investment managers. That's what they are. See, we're giving money to missions. They're investment managers. It's okay for you even to ask, how's my investment going? 
Okay? Sometimes, by, by the way, sometimes when investments, you cut bad investments. That's okay. Sometimes even in churches, you cut. You, that's saying dropping someone. But the point is they're investment managers. All right, let me wrap this up and give one final illustration in the last few minutes. Do, do you kind of see the flow? Hey, uh, tell my brother to give me some money. Hey, listen, your life does not consist of the things that you have. Well, that's, that's hard because that's walking by sight. And we sometimes get in that, that thinking real easy. He gives this illustration about the guy who had a huge amount. But man, it was I, 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 me, me, me. And never thought I had. Just thought about the present at the moment. And then he says at the very end, but I'll tell you what you can do. Seek, do not fear, sell, give, provide. Why? Do those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added unto you. You know, he says the same exact thing in, in Matthew 6. So let me give you three final thoughts. Number one, your heart always goes where your treasure is. Your heart always goes where your treasure is. And he ends in verse 34 saying, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the idea is this. We need to be careful where we put our treasure because with the treasure comes the heart. If my treasure is on this earth, my heart will be here. If my treasure is in the kingdom of God and the things he's doing, my heart will be there. My heart follows the treasure. Which if you think, and we don't have time to develop it, that's kind of odd because I would have thought your heart goes and your treasure follows. It's actually reversed. Your treasure and your heart follows. So again, I have to be careful. Where am I putting my heart or my treasure? (laughs) My heart always goes where I put God's money, the things that I have, all that stuff that I would consider the treasure, and my heart follows along. John Wesley, again, going back, I'll give you a second illustration about him. He was touring this vast estate with a very, very proud plantation owner. And he got on their horses early in the morning and started, you know, just looking at this guy's vast property. All through the day, they were riding on the horses, looking at this guy's vast property. And they never even got to the end of the property line. But at the end of the day, the owner asked, well, Mr. Wesley, what do you think? And Wesley replied, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all this behind. (laughs) Because that was all he had. That's what he was talking about. That was his excitement. That was his passion. See, the point is this. He who lays up treasure on earth spends his life backing away from his treasure. If, you're, if your treasure's on earth, you're backing away. To him, death is lost, pain and, and despair. But he who lays up treasure in heaven looks forward to eternity. Why? He's moving towards his treasure. Death to him is gain. It's a, re, it's a reason to rejoice. Well, you got all this. Boy, it must be hard to die because you're leaving it. Or, oh, I see, you invested in eternity. You're moving towards your reward. So, if you want to have more of a heart for missions, what? Give. Pray. Invest your time. By the way, treasure is not just money. It's time. It's your, all your abilities. Everything that God has given you. So it's more than just wealth. But again, money is in, in, in view here. So, first major principle, your heart always goes where your treasure is. Second, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That is literally called the treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. When Jesus said over in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what he's talking about. You can send it on ahead. In other words, where your treasure is, your heart is. You must lay up your treasure wherever it is, but you have to do it, by the way, before you die. You want to send it on ahead. I would hope that's what I've been doing. I say hope because, I'm again, I'm evaluating my life. It's been going on this week, and it's continuing to go on last week and this week. It's, Lord, am I truly treasuring what's eternal? And then third and final, sacrifice is the measure of the gift size. Sacrifice, key word, sacrifice. In other words, the more this is from John Piper, the more sacrificially generous you are on earth, the greater will be your enjoyment of heaven. The more sacrificially generous you are on earth, the greater your enjoyment will be in heaven. So let's break that down. The more sacrificially generous you are on this earth, uh, do you remember the widow's might? It's found in Mark chapter 12, and it, it says that Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury where they're bringing in the money and saw how people were putting money into the treasury. He looked at the rich, and they were like dropping in. By the way, this is how they do it, you know, <laughs> so people could see what they're doing. And then one poor widow, widow uh, poor means financially destitute, and, but, but she put in two mites, two mites. I should have brought my mite in. I, when I was in Israel, I bought one one time. Little, real little thing. Just like a, an eighth of a day's wage. It was just insignificant. But Jesus said this. So he called his disciples to himself and said, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more, greater, than all those who have given to the treasury. All those, not just a few individuals. He's, she put in more than everybody else that you saw walk in today. The point is this. It's got to do with sacrifice. That's what, that's what God... The point is that the value of the gift is not measured by its size, but again, by the sacrifice of the actual gift. The more sacrificially generous you are on earth, second part, the greater will be your enjoyment in heaven. And you'd have to go to Luke 16, but he basically is saying this, if you are willing to give what is not your own... Then at one time in the future, God will give you which, quote, is true riches. And the idea is this, the reward. So we give which is not our own because the earth is Lord's and everything that's in it. And we send it on ahead so that at the moment, at the time that we are at the Bema seat before the Lord, not the money, that's not going to be there. But the point is, is that what I was willing to give is rewarded and that is your true reward. Very, very important that that what we have, we can be rewarded for if we're sacrificial on this side of death. John Piper ends by saying this, Jesus loves us and summons us, summons us to maximize our eternal joy in heaven. He demands radical freedom from the love of money and radical generosity and sacrifice. And then he ends this, especially to the poor. And I think you're going to see this more and more. In fact, we may fall in that category. But the point is, is we're not just talking about giving to a church or missions. We're talking about sacrificial, generous giving to those who are around us. But Jesus is not saying that because he needs the money. It's already his. But he's saying this, why? Because he wants us to be full of joy. Not worry. Joy. You say, is that really true? I mean, you've, you've given some high... Let me give you an illustration from history, and then we're done. Charles Thomas Studd. Anybody ever heard of C.T. Studd? Really? Nobody's heard of C.T. Studd? He lived back in the 1800s. 
He was born in 1860, so it kind of dates him. He lived to be about 70 years old. Now, C.T. was part of a very wealthy family. In fact, his father's name was Edward Studd, Edward. And he made a lot of money in India, uh, I think, uh, doing crops. So he was very, very wealthy. And at the time that, uh, I mean, he w- but he was unsaved. And uh, basically, this is the story. I was going to read it, but it's... Basically, he, he meets up with uh, Moody and Sankey, and he gets saved. And from that point on, his father, C.T. Studd's father, was like, I want to do what's right. He gave up his his gambling, his horses. I mean, he was, you know, he was just a worldly man. And he said, no, I want to I wanna serve the Lord. And he had these three boys, other kids, but three boys. And, and basically, once he got saved, he wanted to get those guys saved too. You know, <laughs> and every time that any missionary was around or whatever, they always had him in, in um, uh, Edward Studd's home because he wanted to have them have an influence on his three boys. The three boys' names were Kinston, George, and Charles. Again, they always try to avoid their father. Why? Because he's always jamming this religion down their throat, right? But after a couple years, and there was an evangelist that came by and basically explained to them the gospel, and after the 10th or 20th try, as it were, of, of understanding the gospel, of explaining it to them, all three boys the same day got saved. I mean, like, praise God, they got saved. And they had the same type of hard attitude that their father, I want to serve Jesus. And at the time, C.T. Studd, uh, Charles, was only 16 years old. About this time, C.T. was uh, fast becoming the most outstanding cricket player in England. The brothers started a Bible study at their college, Eton. They stayed on for two more years, becoming the captain of the cricket, or he stayed on two more years, becoming the captain of the cricket team. Basically, everybody in England, at that point, if you had lived in the late 1800s, you would have known about Charles T. Studd, because he was one of the most famous of the athletes of England. But again, in his heart, kept this yearning to, no, to serve Jesus. It wasn't just about sports. C.T. had been somewhat backslidden during that, from 16 to about 18. He, he wasn't necessarily always walking with the Lord. I mean, again, the struggles of, of the Christian life. And he went to Cambridge, and there he met six other people, and they became very famously known as the Cambridge Seven. So Charles and six others basically recommitted their life and said, I want to serve Jesus. And if you look up the Cambridge 7, it tells all about In February 85, he decides to go to China as a missionary, arriving in Shanghai on March 18, 1885. They at once began the study of language 7 to 10 hours a day. They wore Chinese garb, which back then was, an, was like an anomaly. Usually they would come as American or British but they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to look like the Chinese, we're going to eat like the Chinese, we're going to sacrifice like the Chinese. But this is the point of C.T. Studd. His father was very wealthy. To each of the kids, he gave money. To him, he gave 145,000 pounds. That's a lot of money back in the 1800s. A millionaire of today. It was his 25th birthday, December 1885, that he was to inherit the $145,000. But he decided, you know what, I don't want to be, I don't want to have that hanging over my head. So he decided to give away the majority of it. On January 1887, December 85, January 87, that's a year later. By the way, I say that because this, he didn't do it out of an emotional response. He decided he wanted to do it, and he was willing to think and pray over it. It took about a year before he actually cut the check. 
A year later, he cut the checks. $25,000 teach. Notice the people he gave it to, D.L. Moody. He said, why don't you start a work in Tricot in North India? Actually, when Moody got the 25,000 pounds, he didn't start that work. He started the Moody Bible Institute. George Mueller. How many of you know George Mueller? The great prayer of... Uh, 20000 for missionary work. 5000 for orphans. That's where 25000 went. Another one, George Holland. And a, third, a fourth one to uh, uh, Booth, the, the guy that started the Salvation Army, 25000 In a few months, he gave away several other $1,000 he, once he determined the exact amount of his inheritance. And a lot of it went to the China, China Inland Mission, which was a huge mission back then for all the, not only China but India and stuff like that. So the majority, all he had left was 17,000 pounds. Of the 147, 17,000 left. And then he meets the girl of his dreams, Priscilla. And about a year later, he's married, and for, an, or for a wedding gift, he gave her the rest of the 17,000 and said, do with this as you will. And this was, again, just before his marriage, he gave it. Let's see here. And this is what she said. Oh, Charles... What did the Lord tell the rich man to do? Sell all? Well, then we will start clear with the Lord at our wedding and gave the rest away. And they basically had five bucks in their pocket and went for 41 years to missions. Okay, that's the bottom line. Now, I am not asking you for your checkbooks. Okay, I'm not asking you to be... In fact, I'm not even asking you to make a decision. I'm not, making, I'm not asking you to make a commitment. It took him a year. I'm hoping it takes you about a month. But the point is, is I think we need to really think through... Really think through, are we really investing in eternity? Or when we see Jesus at the judgment day, will he look at us? And he won't use those words because, again, sin is forgiven at that point. But the point is, will we be looked at from an eternal standpoint as a fool? Did we invest in eternity or did we invest in ourselves? Okay, that's the whole point. Again, C.T. was very radical. By the way, he, made unbel- he was unbelievable in the Christian realm. He started not only in China, but in Africa, and had a huge impact here in America. I mean, he was unbelievably used by the Lord for his people. Why? Because he had tremendous sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice the and say, Lord, you're just going to provide for me. If you're my father and you want me to do this, you provide. And that's how God uses us so many times. We have a tendency to say, God gave us, give, we plan, we, you know, and maybe God is just saying this, you know what, trust me. Trust me. Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to do this? Again, as you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to get saved. You need to receive him. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, would you, would you be willing to pray this? Lord, if I need to change the way that I look at my finances and my investment strategy for eternity, if that needs to change, Lord, show me and help me to be willing to do what you want me to do. Would you be willing to pray that? Lord, if my investment strategy is not good, will you please show me and help me to change that for eternity? Would you be willing to pray that for the next few weeks? Lord, if you want me to change, I'll change, especially as it pertains to finances. Very, very important because you can't lay up treasures on in eternity if you're also so concerned about here. You've got to make a decision. Let's stand as we close. Uh, again, that's out in the back. Also, if uh, again, as Mike said, the um, 
Faith promises are out on the back. You need to actually physically pick that up. It's not going to be in the bulletin. Again, as, as you consider this, there's giving and then there's sacrifice. I was thinking about something I have, just for an illustration purposes. I have a couple motorcycles, one of which I drive, the other one's been stored. In fact, it's been stored at my daughter's garage. I'm, I'm waiting for her to start sending me a bill for storage, you know. But the point that the Lord reminded me of, I'm going to talk it over with my wife. I think these things should be talked over as couples. But, you know, like, why do I even have that? I haven't driven it almost for a year and a half. But yet it's just there, you know, taking up my space in my mind even. So some of the things that maybe are things that you can just sell, I'm not asking you to sell anything. But the point is, is, you know, sometimes even the accumulation of stuff starts to wear us down. And what he reminded me is, John, would you be willing to sell that? And just give it. Just sell that. Well, what's the, I mean, you don't even use it. It's not even a sacrifice. You, you know, it'd probably be a weight off your shoulders. But again, ask God, Lord, am I really generous? <laughs> Lord, am I really looking towards eternity? Or is it all about right now? And Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace. I'm saying that, Lord, give me the grace to be able to do what you want me to do. Let me be radical like so many other believers throughout eternity have been, or throughout history have been radical for you even in this area of giving. Would you be willing to pray that? Father, again, this is a very difficult subject because it hits right at home. And Lord, I know that there are some here in this congregation that are actually struggling financially. Lord, help them to be able to know whether it's that you didn't give them enough or or they spent it improperly. Uh, Lord, if it's that we have to change our priorities, help us to do that. Uh, Lord, help us to have an investment mentality for eternity. Lord, we thank you that you came to this earth to die for our sins. That's the priority. Help us to seek first your kingdom. And Lord, as a people, as a church, help us to think through this. This is, again, always, it's just difficult to not only talk about, but actually to apply. And I pray that you'd give me grace, that you'd give each one of us grace as we look at what we have, whether it's money or possessions. Help us to see if if we're trusting in that or in you and whether we'd be willing to release it. But if we are willing to release it, it's going to take your grace. Lord, give us grace. Give us understanding so that we might again be able to have a true investment mentality for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.